0: Because the second you start limiting an individual's ability to move, whether it's for a pandemic or war or whatever the case might be, it's effectively the government telling you, we know better than you where you should be going. And I don't think that's an outcome from a political philosophy perspective that should ever be tolerated uh, because I don't think that can ever be true. Uh, You know, certain measures need to be taken for for people's protection and safety and, and, you know, there's many instances where the state does know and and is acting on great information and acting, you know, for the collective welfare of people and you have to make some compromises day to day that are practical, but asking asking people to make an irreversible decision as a precondition to enjoying one of the most fundamental human rights uh, I think we have on this planet, certainly in a Western democracy. You know, that that gives me a lot of pause for concern.
1: That's very well said. Um, You know, I wanted to uh, say something about what Carl was saying earlier about, I think you you pointed to how so many people weren't even aware of the uh, the existence of the mandates. I, I have. I have a story to share. Uh, shortly after the truckers' protest, or in the midst of the truckers' protest, I think, or towards the end of it, uh, several provinces started dismantling the vaccine passport system. If you if you remember, and um, and I remember uh, after the protests, um, the protests continued. People would show up on Parliament Hill or they would, uh, you know, congregate around uh, the war memorial and, you know, every weekend a few people would protest. About a hundred people would show up or so and um, the average Ottawa person would say, well, why are you still protesting? The mandates are all gone. And I would tell them, no, the the travel mandate is still in place. Uh, Five, six million Canadians can't even get on a train to go across the country. Um, uh, They can't even leave the country if they wanted to. And then the mandates that apply to the civil service, there are are people in the civil service who have been on leave without pay for six months. Uh, And and they would just look at me stunned or they they would think that I was making it up. And and this was very similar to responses I would get online as well. I mean, why are you still writing about uh, mandates when they've all been removed by the provinces? So it's, it's amazing how the federal government it's mandates it's just it didn't get the attention it deserved it's, it's almost like it didn't exist
2: the biggest criminals in this have been is um the legacy canadian legacy media because the, the government will get away with whatever they can get away with right but the fact that the, the media who are supposed to be there reporting the news chose to not only not report what was really happening they they chose to promote a false narrative and we know that now to be a false narrative. We know that, the, and I'll say it out loud, they lied. And the, the media, I think, have been the biggest contributor over the last two years to a lot of the, the these things that have happened. Yeah, I mean, I
3: mean, one of the things that the government did, this is very, I mean, it's devious, actually. I thought you may have noticed this or not, but when they lifted, and, and they did this throughout 2022, a bit ahead of suspending and you know, we need, there's a different term. I mean, suspending isn't ending, right? Um, but uh, when they suspended these um, uh, vaccines as a precondition to travel, the mandates around that, that was one thing, but ahead of that, what they were doing was very, very devious. And when they were removing restrictions, they dropped the distinction between vaccinated and unvaccinated. And they just started using language such as we're removing the requirement for you know testing or whatever for travellers for travel um, and the same's happened in new zealand recently where it's um the media will report it as new zealand drops all uh mandates or, or conditions for travel but that's not true you still need to be for example uh you still need to be proof of vaccination to go into new zealand and it happened here so people were just talking about travelers the distinction between vaccinated and unvaccinated travellers was dropped Um, And that almost sort of made people who had chosen not to have the injections as if they didn't exist, when in reality, we all know that now people coming back into Canada who have chosen not to have the injections, you know, accosted at the airport by Public Health Agency of Canada agents who, you know, will try to um, make them Uh, stay at home for 14 days and bombard them with telephone calls and emails, even though these people don't have COVID, uh, at no greater risk of having COVID or transmitting it or infecting anybody else as somebody who has had the the vaccinations, which we now know to be true, Um, and that's still not out there. Most Canadians probably still don't know that that's being imposed upon the so-called unvaccinated Canadians. I think the government's played very fast and loose with the law, it been very devious with its use of language, and some days I think I'm in the middle of somebody's strategic flowchart, you know, yeah. some someday.
0: I, I Sorry, I would also question the logic of people who are uh, asking why someone is reporting or talking about a measure that's no longer uh, in place, right? I mean, to me, that's the equivalent of saying, why are we talking about a war that's no longer active? Mm-hmm. Or why, why do we talk about history at all, right? Yeah. The fact that something has come and gone doesn't mean that it's it, it should escape our consideration. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be critical about the decisions that were made at that point in time, uh, because that's the only way we're going to learn uh, yeah. about how we're going to handle the next type of crisis and what should and should not be acceptable public health measures.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, absolutely. And, and, you know, speaking of which, I mean, do you think there's going to be some kind of accountability down the road from the government? Um, um, you know, you know, it's happening we're trying to do it through you're trying to do it through the courts but you think we'll see some change maybe at the ballot box uh do you think there's going to be any kind of accountability
0: well i guess ultimate accountability is at the ballot box uh we are optimistic that we will see some accountability in court um as you know obviously the process is still unfolding so we're all you know Mm -hmm. just going through that process and being patient and we'll see where that takes us but I'm optimistic that this in conjunction with several other things um, you know hopefully might might get people a different result.
1: Yeah Sean Carl
0: I mean we're,
3: there's a real opportunity here for um, for the Canadian courts to just to, to, again you know to step up and take and, and deal with this issue and not simply take a deferential bow to the federal government. It's such a, it's a complicated issue, um, but that's not a reason to just rely on what the government says as being true because the government says there's an emergency because the government says it has to do this. This is an opportunity for real scrutiny and it's an opportunity to test more thoroughly our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and particularly with regard to section one of that. You know, it's a young constitution. Um, Canada's constitution has been in existence since 1982. We're not talking about the U.S. Constitution or the type of constitutional law that might uh, be in the U.K. and old democracies like that. Um, there's a real, real moment here for, uh, on the widest level, for the Canadian judiciary to 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 look at this and to reassure Canadians that this kind of casual health-based discrimination isn't something that can take root in Canada. Um, I, I, I hope they take that very, very seriously and not show deference. I mean, certainly there are, we've seen some examples recently. I mean, I've been sitting in the Supreme Court of BC, listening to the Chief Justice there, who's due to make a de- hand down a decision um, in relation to proof of vaccination more widely in British Columbia, um, and certainly some of the language that Chief Justice Hinkson was using in British Columbia was encouraging. In so far as it was clear that he understood the issues and wasn't just going to take, wasn't just going to defer to government. He wasn't just going to, you know, accept what they were saying. And he asked some difficult questions and made some interesting, in- interesting statements there. And hopefully, there's something something good comes out of that. And with I think we'd like to see our case be heard. we'd like the government the, the judge who hears the if there is you know there's going to be an argument around whether this issue is moot or not. we'd like the judge who hears that case to exercise his or her discretion that this is of su- such public importance that they want to hear the the case and and the and the actual the, the core issues and the merits and go ahead with the hearing and that will give Canadians an opportunity. To hear it, it'll give the government an opportunity to explain its thinking, rather than try to push it under the, what, the and, room.
2: and justify it too, right?
0: Yeah, I mean that. That's I, sorry, yeah, I want to echo, sorry, Sean. I want to echo something Carl uh, just said. I think it's it is it is a very critical opportunity, and quite frankly, I think that difficult moments in our political history, like this. Uh, are the best opportunities to decide very complicated and difficult cases, because it's the point in time where people need the most guidance. And it's likely the point in time where the government needs the most um, scrutiny, quite frankly, because it's it, moments of crisis breed a lot of uncertainty and they breed a lot of panic. And those are frankly the conditions in which we see a lot of sweeping measures come into place. And, and I, I couldn't imagine a more appropriate time and place to consider the constitutionality of these types of public health rationales, and right now.
1: Sean, you were gonna say something? I was just
2: gonna say that, that I was gonna echo kind of what Carl said too, and, and what Sam said, but, uh, and again, you may have viewers, I don't, some of your viewers may not be aware of the, the mootness motion, but that that's my biggest concern right now is that the government, um, the, the Attorney General of Canada and the, their their counsel, have filed a motion Um, of mootness uh, against these four cases. And now we have to go and and sort of fight a separate hearing on September 19th, which was originally our final hearing date, uh, which will now be in October. However, we have to get over that hurdle. It's quite a big hurdle in the fact that they, they seem convinced and I'll let Sam talk about this more in legal terms, but that really concerns me. The fact that we may not even make it to a hearing if they decide this case to be moot how they can how that he can even it's mind-boggling to me how they can even how they can even contemplate that this is moot in the fact that these measures have only been suspended they haven't been revoked and they've made it very clear they can bring them back anytime but i'll I'll hand it over to sam to explain the mootness motion to to everybody a bit better
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean so there, there are there are situations where uh, the original controversy no longer exists um, and the, there's an infinite number of reasons why uh, you know the, the the classical example might be that you challenge the constitutionality of something there's a previous challenge it's been struck it's of no longer any consequence so the the general idea here is that the courts are not going to use the limited times and resources that they have you know to decide disputes between parties that practically don't have any effect on their legal rights right so they're not here for you know they're not here to have an oxford debate with you uh or kind of a theoretical discussion and you can have that elsewhere if there's not going to be a concrete tangible benefit that's going to flow from that and uh there's a lot of cases that even in the context of uh, of covid that do get dismissed because as you know uh these public health uh, policies get you know activated and deactivated over time and you're playing a timing game, quite frankly. Uh, I was in a situation where I started an appeal with respect to the constitutionality of, of restrictions and outdoor gatherings in Ontario. At the time I finished my appeal materials, It was there was a limit, which we, we argued was unconstitutional. By the time I got the responding submissions from the government, the limit had been revoked. <laughs> a Couple of months later, it was back on. And then a couple of weeks before the hearing, it was revoked again. And it just so happens that in this game of kind of musical chairs, you, you it's what chair you're sitting in last. Yeah. And if, if, if the public health policies are no longer in place at the specific point in time you're speaking to the court, uh, there seems to be a, a trend that they're not going to hear it. Um,
1: so is, could that be one explanation for why um, we've not had much success uh, with, uh, with people challenging mandates uh, through the courts or, or, or lockdowns and other restrictions over the course of the pandemic?
0: It's a formidable challenge. Uh, yeah. get, getting around a mootness argument is very tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, it's the, the bench has made it very clear that uh, they will not spend time, um, absent very special circumstances, uh, dealing with issues that have been deactivated. Uh, and and you know, sometimes they're deactivated permanently. It's it's in sometimes for a very long time. I mean, obviously now in Ontario we're we're not seeing a return to a lot of the public health measures, but that's not to say that they can't come back. And it's also not to say that those decisions wouldn't be instructive for future scenarios that might not necessarily be identical, but could be parallel to what we've observed with COVID. Um, But at the end of the day, it's a challenge for, for this case, as it is for You know, a lot of cases, whether it's in the constitutional context or not, and it's something you have to be aware of as a lawyer, uh, and it's a risk you take, and we're going to be putting our best foot forward, and we hope the court agrees with us.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, I wish you guys all the best. Wanted to ask uh, the three of you, what's next for the three of you? uh, I know you've t- told me what's next for you in terms of the case uh, going forward. You have a hearing in September and and the final hearing in October. Uh, but uh, but you know w- what else is next for the three of you? Are you um, the two of you, uh, Sean and Carl? Are you going to be traveling anytime soon? Um, are you going to be getting on a plane going overseas to see your um, to see your um, uh, parents?
2: I, I can't, uh, I I run my own business, small business, mm-hmm. uh, contracting business. And I, I just, um, uh, I mean, there's a possibility if I came back and, uh, and I followed some of those instructions that you see people posting yeah. videos about right now, but I, I just can't risk being locked in my it. house for two yeah. weeks. Um, I would love to go and see my family and my father right now. but. It realistically the, the, as far as I'm concerned this was kind of a bait and switch game they did they, they suspended the mandates and then kind of up the ante on the arrive can app and the quarantine right exactly. um, yeah. and they are really sort of going hard after people that, that they are able to get into quarantine so I, I just I just can't risk not being able to visit job sites and my guys working if I went to England it would be for like five or six days. Um, but I, I can't take two weeks uh, mm-hmm. when I return from that trip on top, and um, I can't speak for Carl, obviously. But
3: yeah, I mean, I I, I haven't um, ordinarily. I was back and forward to Europe every five or six weeks um, uh, for my uh, business interests um, there, and I haven't done that for you know quite some time now with all the restrictions that have been in place of varying kinds. Um, and to some extent, it's the same. You know, I, I do want to go back. I do want to see my family. I have an elderly mother. I've got you know, my family and friends back there. I'd, I'd like to see them. And I'm used to doing that because I'm used to going backwards and forwards. And so there's been a commercial disadvantage for certain, A lot of uh, personal disadvantage and you know, personal pain and always the risk that you might, during this period, weren't able to travel, that you might lose a relative and not be able to to travel. And that was one of the, I mean, one of the very stark things that came out in the case in the cross examination. And you know, hopefully it gets considered more, but was almost the 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 relish that was taken mm-hmm. by the people who put these mandates in place in ensuring that compassionate exemptions for Canadians were not made. Yes. And I, that, that to me in... I, I don't understand oh. that. It seems mm-hmm. it's un Canadian it's inhuman Mm -hmm. it's highly discriminatory it's ethically wrong i don't understand why a government of a western democracy would take such a view um and that's i think another issue that as canadians come back together which is one of the things we all need to do we all need to work as canadians to come back together yeah we have a divisive government that seems to relish the opportunity it sees in that I can't see any viable opportunity in that, but they seem to be able to. Canadians have to come back together and we have to think about this. And I think just that the government may have misread that. You know, it it may have overplayed its hand. Perhaps in their rush to get reelected in 2021, they had felt that Canadians fell into one of two camps. And that's not true, you know, there's a lot of people who would qualify as fully vaccinated in that period of time but would be reluctant were they going to lose their job lose the ability to provide for their family or were they going to go ahead and they're not going to be long-term supporters of the same thing happening again to them Mm -hmm. it's more nuanced it's much more nuanced than the government maybe have worked out and you can see by watching the government you know the current polls coming in that perhaps Perhaps they might have misread
1: i i i I think there was overwhelming support for the mandates. I think seventy percent of Canadians uh, who were polled I believe around September um, supported mandates and uh, and then there was a recent poll that came out a few weeks ago. Uh, that number is down to twenty percent ideally, you want zero, but uh, it's still it's still a sharp decline, and that's uh pretty encouraging I think. Um, I think people are starting to ask questions, right? Uh, did these mandates make a difference in the end? Um, and I think a lot of people have uh, are starting to have some doubts here, and that's certainly reflected in some of these polls.
3: Yeah. I mean, cer- certainly we'd be good to challenge. I mean,
1: yeah.
3: going forward, I mean, we're, we're not in this place yet, but yeah. looking at the um, use of the alleged use of the quarantine act to continue Mm -hmm. to persecute the people that didn't do what the prime minister said. Yeah. um, It's something that needs to be challenged and maybe we'll, with others, consider how we might try to to, to play a role in that going forward as as well. There's there's lots to think about, but that's another challenge that hopefully is taken on and, and corrected.
2: It's something we've always talked about right Carl is it, it is is to get this to the end is to get it heard so that a goal of our never to have it happen again yep
1: um,
2: it, it can't happen again
3: it, to have it heard i mean sam you, yeah. you know i think i think the sam will know more, but i think it's an in person hearing if we get as far as a hearing it's an in person hearing sam isn't
0: it it yeah. probably will be i mean our mootness hearing's going to be in person in ottawa uh, so uh, I, I would I would imagine you know un, unless there is a, a a very significant change in the in the, in the circumstances epidemiological circumstances uh, I would imagine that you know the actual application here is going to be in person and it should be in person it's a it deserves that level of respect and and that and that sort of you know solemn attention and and, and I trust we'll get it.
1: Everything is in person these days so what what is their excuse?
2: we've been Zoom. we've been in zoom hearings and and cross examinations since the get-go uh, if we if we have an in-person hearing in september that'll be the first in-person hearing we've yeah. had in, in
0: well i think i i think the considerations are a little bit different in in, in the federal sense than they would be within a province if it was a, if this matter was exclusively within a, a specific province mm-hmm. um the, the 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 factors would be a lot different but when we're dealing with council in different provinces some witnesses in different provinces and a judge in ottawa i see uh there there are certainly some practical benefits that are achieved okay. by having a zoom mm-hmm. but obviously you know when you get to the finale uh it's it's preferable i would imagine it's preferable to to, to have that uh in person because uh, the the interaction the dynamics of the interaction between the lawyer and the judge i think um it, it's very tough to replicate that uh that dynamic over uh, video you know conferencing
2: that's September 19th, eh? and so it'll be interesting to see if, see how many people show up for that, but uh, It'd be nice to they'll see probably have police with video. batons there and everything. So.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've read some of the reactions to my story, but uh, the three of you are seen as national heroes, and um, and there are, you know, some, some of the comments are well, there are a lot of, you know, there's been an outpouring of um, emotion uh, over the last couple of days, you know, because you've unleashed something here. You know, a lot of people have been suffering and uh, suffering in silence sometimes and at what they feel is very unjust. And here you are, you know, the three of you just um, uh, fighting this out. And uh, it's just extraordinary. I think it's an extraordinary story. And I'm sure there's more to say here as, as, the, as the case proceeds. Um, But, you know, I'm so glad to have been part of this, uh, at least a small part of this journey, a small part of this important effort on your part to get to the bottom of uh, the government's policies as they relate to the mandates. And I really, really hope that there's some accountability accountability at the end of the day. And I really want to thank the three of you for coming on the show. And um, um, you know, it's 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 truly an honor. And uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll, we'll have you have back one, again. Yep.
2: One additional point, if I can cut you off there for a second, is uh, filing an application um, with an injunction too against the arrive uh, to hopefully um, get that at least put on hold for now until we can get to a hearing so okay. we're working on filing an application for that too so
1: okay well i will keep uh you know keep us posted and uh and you know i wish you all the best and it was uh, truly an honor to have the three of you here and uh i'm sure we'll catch up sometime soon again
0: yeah thanks for yeah. having thank us you. on all right thank you thanks everyone take, yeah. care.
1: take care bye, bye.